Did you know a 2018 study showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual. When I was four months pregnant, I couldn't find a prenatal I could trust, so I created my own. Ours is made traceable, third-party tested for heavy metals, and recently earned the Purity Award from the Clean Label Project. But don't just take my word for it. Get 25% off at virtual.com slash podcast. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Just between us. Hey! Just between us. Hey! Yeah! Hello! I am Allison Raskin. I'm a writer, director, and proud wearer of a undercut. Ooh. Yeah, I wanted people to know about my undercut. I'm Gabby Dunn. I'm a writer, bicon, bisexual icon, wink. And I know this doesn't seem like I would be, but a new fan of RuPaul's Drag Race. This is Just Between Us, a podcast about brutal honesty, female friendship, and completely unsolicited advice. The three top things people like. You know, we say unsolicited advice, but people ask for our advice. Yes, they are specifically emailing in to get our advice. So it's sort of false advertising. But we also give, I feel, unsolicited tangents of advice. Oh, yes. That, I can't get through a conversation with someone without giving them some advice that, that really? they don't want. Well, yeah, you love to give advice. Yes. But people won't always take it. Oh, they never take it. Do you feel bad about that? No. One of the greatest things that has come with my old age is realizing that other people don't operate on my timeline. Huge. And so I just have to wait things out. Huge. Because I'm always right. (laughs) Yeah. So this reminds me of the color code test. Yes. Which if you haven't taken it, please uh, go and take the color code test. Because... We're not sponsored by the color code test, just There's no money involved in it. No. So, uh, and you can look it up. It's a color code personality test. So... Color code is red, yellow, blue, and white. So red is uh, motivated by power. Blue is motivated by intimacy. White is motivated by peace. And yellow is motivated by fun. We took the quiz. So it's what's your main driving force in your life. Yeah. And Allison is hardcore blue. Intimacy, baby. And so you read. Love to get to know you. <laughs> and so you read through it. And were, and like one of the, th- and you were like, this is so accurate. And one of the things about blue is that you you have to, you're like, why isn't everybody as emotionally tapped in as I am? Oh. Like, you, like, feel like, you know, you had, you, but you've come to a place where you're realizing that you can't just rely on people to want the intimacy or be as emotionally open as you are, which is a thing that blues have to learn. Well, I've always felt great shame that I um, am, like, have been looking for my life partner my entire life and Mm -hmm. that I, like, crave close friendship and that I like need to know everything about people and that I always want to gossip and and like dish and like mm-hmm. I've always felt like weird and bad about that but then the moment that a website told me that that's <laughs> my driving factor I was like hell yeah it is 
Oh, you were so shook reading it because you were like, oh, this is me. This is me. And and to know Holding that like, people that's okay. to your standards. Because now when I look at it is like before I was like, I'm desperate because I can't be alone. And mm-hmm. now I'm like, no, I just love intimacy and I get off on it. Yes, definitely. And then I was at red. Power. Which is motivated by power. Right. Uh, which nobody is surprised by. I'm not. Yeah. Uh, and reds are like, they just want to sort of be in control. Mm-hmm. Uh, they are But I'd say that's achievers. interesting because a lot of times in our projects together, you you seed um, me control so that you can like be on your phone. Sure. I, yes, but I, I just want the end result. Got like, it. Like I just want the end result of like my name on it. Right. I don't, I'm, I'm much more in the weeds caring about the process to the end result than you are. Yes, but I. how much am I more motivated by, like, the end where my name is on it? Right. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, I just want the power of... The success. The success. Exactly. You don't care how we get there. Pretty much. <laughs> um, just because I, I coast a lot on charm. Oh, absolutely. And You're the networking half of this relationship. Definitely. Like, I, I'm the person who's, like, I've met you three times and, like, I can get you to do stuff. Oh, yeah. You'll be like, yeah, we're great friends. And I'll be like, have you met? And you'll be like, no, no. And now I <laughs> now it's people I've met. Yeah, but you'll be like, oh, yeah, I know her. And you met her, like, for five minutes one time. I need to, like, have had, like, an intensive one-on-one lunch with someone where I learn their whole backstory before I'll be like, yeah, I know them. That sounds like a nightmare to me, honestly. Ooh, I love it. I don't want anyone to know me. <laughs> All I want is to be known. And that's why this works. Yeah. <laughs> or it's why we have issues with each other. Exactly. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to guess John is a white. Peace? Yeah. Motivated by peace. I think so, too. Right? I love John. He balances us. That's why he's a white. Uh, you have to take the test now. Please take it. Please take it as we're now. recording. Okay. Great. So we're really excited for this week's episode. Yes. We're going to bring in an incredible guest, Kara Brown, later in the episode from everyone's other favorite podcast, Keep It. We have some games coming up. We have an interesting topic, I think, as yeah. our final segment. Yeah, we'd like to talk about topics with an X, so you know they're intense. And uh, to start this whole thing off is our first segment. Hit it! International question! International question! International question! Tamara did not tell us where she was from. Isn't it Tamara? Probably. Okay. Yeah, I got thrown because she didn't say where she was from. And also, it doesn't matter where you're from. It's still an international yes. question. It's more just because it goes better with the song. Yeah. Because it like I kind of really messed up my flow. Got but it. I didn't. So I, I should have ended like, Tamra, New Zealand. Make it up. New Zealand sounds great. Tamra, New Zealand. Love it. Great. All right. So Tamra Tamara's question is, hi there. I really appreciate that Allison is so open about her mental health on the JBU channel, and I wanted to ask you guys, what do you think of the trend of making mental illness sound beautiful, sexy, cool, fashionable on social media, and all those brands that sell merchandise with lines like cute but psycho, etc.? Best regards, Tamara Tamara. So when you brought me this question, I was... I had never thought of this before. Right. Which is rare to get a question where it's like, wow, I've never even stopped to think about this at all. Because you stop to think about almost everything. I'm never not thinking, baby. I think I don't think enough. Well, okay. So so you actually had a situation where you were a little miffed mm-hmm. by a sweater at Target that said obsessive Christmas disorder. OCD. Yeah. Yes. Which is something that you've really struggled with. 
I know. I can't get enough Christmas. Yeah, you love Christmas. <laughs> uh, but I just mean that, like, no, it was... No, I've had OCD since I was four years old. And right. so, yeah, so... And it fed into this misconception about what OCD is. Absolutely. And and belittled it, I would argue. I'd say that I, I have thought about this in a sense in that I have struggled with how much my mental illness is a part of my brand and the fact that I have... Um, What's the word? Like commodified? How do you make money off of? Oh, monetized it. And like and the fact that I have monetized it. Sure. Right? So I'm in a way exploiting my own experience. Sure. And. No, but- no, no. I, I would disagree because I think if you've gone through it and it's like been so and it's been hard for you and it's been like a thing that like you've really had to overcome, monetize that shit. Okay. Like I, you know what I mean? Like I think you've earned it. Thank you. But I guess, I guess what's difficult is like. It has become sort of part of this, like, manic pixie dream girl thing where it's, like, Mm -hmm. you know, like, oh, my God, I'm, like, right? It has sort of crossed into this line of, like, the adorkableness that, like, that was around, like, five years ago. Yeah. Now it's sort of just, like, leaning into, like, your neuroses and, like, being anxious and, like, but making it, like, a fun personality trait when in reality it's awful. Well, I think people when you when you make merch on this stuff, I think a lot of times people don't are not using the accurate definition of the thing. So, for example, when you talk about when people go, "Oh, I'm so OCD, I line up all my pens." And you're like, "That is not that might be part of it, but that is not what OCD is." And like you've not been diagnosed with OCD and you have no concept of what OCD is to be like, "Oh, it's I'm so OCD that I do this one thing." And Versus- it's interesting to me why people say that. Like I know. I've never I've never fully understood why someone would say that and I guess it's that's what they've seen in movies. Yeah, or like they think that it's a, like a cool thing to have or like it makes a quirk or it's a way to like explain away a part of their personality that maybe they feel shame around mm-hmm. by like giving it a name. Mm-hmm. Um when reality like who doesn't like pens that look nice? Yeah. <laughs> or, or like people that go, "Oh, I'm so uh, I have anxiety." And what they mean is they're worried. <laughs> But, you know, I honestly, like, I talk about my anxiety all the time, and I don't have traditional panic attacks. And so I, I, have, do. I have felt like, oh, am I, am I misrepresenting myself that I, like, you know, I've never had a full panic attack. I've had um, hours of anxiety where I, like, am unable to focus on anything else, and it, I feel it in my body, and it's, like, not a fun experience. But I've never had the, the overwhelming sensation that, like, kind of replicates itself like a heart attack. I've never had that. But generalized anxiety disorder is different from panic disorder. Like, they're two separate things. Oh, perfect then. So, like, I, you know, like, I have, I I have panic attacks where mm-hmm. I, like, think I'm having a heart attack and and have to be talked out of calling 911. Um, and, like, that, and that that's different than generalized anxiety disorder. You can have generalized anxiety disorder without having panic attacks. But, also, but I guess I have been guilty of saying, like, oh, I had a panic attack. And and now I'm trying to be, like, more cognizant of being, like, I'm, I'm having an anxiety attack. Like, yeah. Even just, like, using the right terminology so that I am not, like, coasting on, on these, like, loose terms and, like, trying to to only speak to my own experience instead of sort of, like, grandizing or taking over yeah. all the entire sphere of, of mental health issues. Yeah. I just think um, – I, I do I do not love cute but psycho. Because psycho is not funny. <laughs> well, yes, psycho's not funny. But also, I don't know. Like, I 
I want to be able to say that I'm crazy. No, no, I want to be able to like, I want to be able to like use those terms and take them back and like give, like have the power rest in me. You can reclaim a word that is, that you're a part of. I, I identify as queer. Yeah. I identify as a slut. Right. Like I think that that's like stuff that I, you know, I can, but it's also interesting because I, the breakdown, right, of like, I, so I identify as a slut, but I don't know that I would I I would ever use the words like hoe or or something like that because or like whore in the way that like my sex worker friends do because that specifically is like for sex workers to reclaim. Do you know mm. what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like I think you have to be careful with what with what words you are using to to define yourself. Like you can definitely use crazy, but you Thank don't. You. But you don't identify. You're not diagnosed as a psychopath. Right. Do you know what I mean? Versus well, I like I'm a slut, the, the but whole... I've not. I'm not take. I'm not. You're not a whore. Oh, I'm not. Right. I know. I don't have the con. I don't have the power to reclaim hoe or whore or any other thing that is used for sex workers. You know right. what I mean? Right. But I. Yeah. I mean. I. So I think that's what we get into, right? Because it's like when you're when it's it's one thing if like I make merch that says Allison Raskin is crazy versus like these companies making yeah. merch that are just like like making money off of like this zeitgeist moment of like being proud to be nuts. Now, the devil's advocate of that is it it might help normalize. So right. for instance, I I'm going to say a specific person who I think is is doing this correctly, which is our friend Kelsey Dara has merch that says anxiety queen. Right. And she does suffer from anxiety. She has anxiety disorder. And that merch, I've seen when she reposts people who wear it and comment about it, they are excited to feel represented and to feel, like, normalized about – because it is kind of a positive, like, anxiety queen. Like, I feel like they – it's like um, I've felt that there's, like, a positivity to that that she's owning by having that merch. But it exists in the context of Kelsey and it also exists, like – in the context of like it's done in an, in a way that normalizes anxiety and like makes it sort of positive. Yeah, I would say that Cupid's psycho is very different to me than obsessive Christmas disorder. Absolutely. Yes. Like I think that that is like that's nothing. That's like that is making fun of a mental illness instead of like reclaiming a mental illness. For sure. Yes. And so I think that that's like the strange line that, w- that we're walking. It's such an interesting thing, right? Because like. I used to get so defensive about, like, people saying they had OCD or, like, not defensive, but, like, so judgmental, you know? But, like, what the fuck do I know? Maybe they're undiagnosed to OCD. I really, you know, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know people's truths. But I don't like it as a punchline. Oh, as a punchline, it's not the best. Yeah, I don't like the the punchline of, of like, this the one note of the character in the movie who flips the lights on and off. Right. And that's the only depiction of OCD that we see. Mm-hmm. What we're talking about is ableism, truly. Like, the idea that, like, neuro atypical people look and act a certain way. So like when you someone says, Oh, I have autism and and then they don't behave in a way that you've typically seen autism portrayed, you're like, you're like, no, I don't think you do. You know what I mean? Like I think there's this Well that for me though, it's like now that I'm doing so much better and that I'm so much more stable, it's almost like what is my relationship to my mental illness now? Yeah. Like is it is it still something that I should like be talking about as much since it doesn't affect my daily daily life the same way? No, I think you I think you're doing it. You're commodifying in a way that is you've earned it. Like something that's happened to you or that is a is like your experience. You are allowed to make money off. I always say make money off your pain. <laughs> 
always. But it's it's a very interesting thing because there are parts of my life where I don't even feel like that person anymore. Sometimes so you'll say to, to me, I don't have OCD anymore. And yeah. I'll be like, that's literally not true. <laughs> and you'll be like, no, I don't think I have it anymore. And I'll be like, okay. And then I get really worried that I've been lying about having OCD and that I'm a big liar. And then I'm like, oh, right, that's my OCD. <laughs> exactly. But you never hear about, there's no one that's going to make like a, a shirt that's like, I don't know, like, uh, like, oh, I- I'm obsessive Christmas disorder. I'm worried that I'm lying about Christmas. Like, there's no, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, there's no accurate depiction of yeah. it. And so I I don't – you never really see the people that actually have the thing now wearing – Now I'm like spiraling. Do I even have OCD? God damn it, Allison. Did I ever have OCD? See, this is the OCD talking. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I mean, I think – uh, there's the in terms of selling merch with that kind of thing it really depends on the context and it really depends on like who's buying it and for what purpose mm-hmm. um, and who's selling it and who's selling you it you know if it's just some big brand at Target like I don't know maybe don't buy that shirt but if it's like one of your favorite you know YouTubers and it's their personal merch yeah. and it's like something you really relate to them about go for it anyway I hope that really answered your question Tamara Tamara both of us are just sitting here like completely rethinking our lives and how we represent ourselves and what we say and our truths which really hit us deep um, if you want to submit your international questions send it to justbetweenuspod at gmail.com that's justbetweenuspod at gmail.com And stay tuned for after the break. Our guest is Kara Brown, and we're going to be asking her some tough questions. Hi, everyone. Allison here. Anyone who knows me well knows that I love to read. I am always looking for new books, and that is why I am so excited that this episode is sponsored by Book of the Month. Book of the Month's mission is to help readers discover new books they love and to promote the work of emerging authors. It was so fun for me to get to pick which book I wanted to read this month and have it shipped right to my door. Book of the Month makes it easy to decide which book to read next. Each month, the editorial team reads through hundreds of new titles. They pick some of the best new books for you to choose from. All the books are good, so you can't go wrong. Every aspect of the Book of the Month experience is designed to be fun and special for readers. They have a highly anticipated release at the beginning of each month. Books are delivered in this really adorable bright blue box, and there's a fun app to help you pick your book and track your reading process. They also offer great values on new release hardcover fiction. It's much cheaper than other options, shipping is always free, and with a loyalty program, you get rewards and even lower prices the longer you stay as a member. My first book from Book of the Month was The Husbands by Holly Gramazio. I am tearing through this book. It is so fun. It's basically about this woman who one day comes home and there's a husband in her apartment and she's like, where did you come from? And then she figures out that every time her new husband goes into the attic, a new husband comes out and she's she's like shuffling through all these different husbands from the attic trying to figure out which one is the best. It is right up my alley and I love it so much. So if you want to take part in Book of the Month and have a brand new book shipped right to your door every single month, go to bookofthemonth.com and get your first book for $5 with code PEDALS. That's $5 off with code PEDALS. I cannot recommend this enough. With Mother's Day around the corner, are you thinking about a truly special gift for your mom? Let me tell you all about mylifeinabook.com. 
It's a unique service that turns your mom's life stories into a beautiful book. Pretty cool, right? Here's how it works. Every week, mylifeinabook.com will send her a question via email. These can be pre-written questions about her life or any custom questions you wish to ask. And then she can either type her response or use their voice to text feature. And mylifeinabook.com compiles all her responses into a beautiful keepsake book. And guess what? They can even create an audiobook using her voice recordings. It's like preserving her voice and her stories for eternity. Imagine discovering stories about her youth, adventures, and the challenges she overcame. This book becomes a legacy, something you and future generations can treasure forever. Your mom's given you a lifetime of stories. This is your chance to give her a way to share them. Right before I found out about this project, my mom made an offhand comment about wanting to write a memoir because she had such a wild childhood and there are all these things she's never really talked to us about. But asking someone to sit down and write a memoir is kind of daunting. So then I got her mylifeinabook.com and now she's getting prompts to answer on a weekly basis and it's a lot easier than just undertaking an entire memoir. I'm so excited to see what my mom does with mylifeinabook.com because she's someone who doesn't always feel comfortable just sharing about herself, but having these prompts and knowing that I really want to hear her answers is going to inspire her to probably share more with me about her life and her upbringing than I've ever been shared with before. So I'm so excited for that. Check out mylifeinabook.com and use code just between us at checkout for 10% off. Create an unforgettable gift for your mom this Mother's Day. That's mylifeinabook.com. Use code just between us for 10% off today. Welcome back to Just Between Us. It is time for the juiciest, most scandalous, controversial segment known to all of podcasting, Tough Questions. You really set the bar high every time. And I'm adding like an announcer voice too. Yeah. I, it did just you see seems... what I did? Like it, I'm like uh, announcing like a boxing match. It's very official. Thank you. Um, and possibly not true. Absolutely not true. But today, we do get to welcome the wonderful Kara Brown, the writer and co-host of Crooked Media's podcast, Keep It. Welcome. Hello. Hello. Guys, that intro was giving me like Nickelodeon 1998 <laughs> vibes, and I loved it. Okay, in a good way? No, in an amazing way. I was oh, like, oh, there's going to be Gak somewhere yes. soon. <laughs> Uh, we kind of wanted to bring you in one because we both just think you're wonderful. Mm-hmm. And also, you have a similar background to Gabby in that you were a journalist. Yes. And, and then, then you kind of were transitioning into <laughs> yeah. entertainment. Yes. And so what is it like to kind of change what you think that you're going to do with your life? I think for me, when I when I started at Jezebel, I didn't necessarily go into that thinking like this was going to be the course of my life anyway because they had actually – in the lead up to it, I had been writing and Jezebel had approached me a few times. And the first couple offers, because it's media, were like, ha- you know, like part-time internships and right. minimum wage and that kind of thing. And I remember thinking, I don't know that I love this enough to do this for no money. Like mm-hmm. if I had been like, this is my dream, I think I would have been like, fuck it. I'm going to take no money and figure it out. But I was like, eh, I like <laughs> this. I don't know if I like this enough right. um, to do that. So – did you want to be a journalist or a writer? I wanted to be a writer. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because I, like, I guess I technically was a journalist, but I sometimes, like, 
pull back with using that because I, I feel like a lot of the writing I did was like criticism and, and things like that. And yeah. I didn't, I do like, I've done more quote unquote journalism. I feel like since I left like actual interviews and articles and that kind of thing, but I knew I wanted to write. Um, I wasn't exactly sure if that was the type of writing I wanted to do. But then once I got into it, I was like, this is, I'm into this. Mm-hmm. This is okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is working for me. Um, yeah. So it was, it was both like I. It was something I wanted, but um, I wasn't sure if this was the exact like way in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it ended up working out very well. <laughs> like, what was the the spec script or whatever that you were using? What yeah. was that about? My way in was very funny. So I had been writing this script that was essentially about um, like a liberal college grad. Like, if me, like if I went to go work at like a Fox News under like a black Megyn Kelly. Oh, love it. Shit. Um, Let's make that show. Yeah, wow. So I had been writing that script. And so when I came to LA, I was like, great, I'm going to write it. I'm going to go to meetings and whatever. And then I had a pretty hot start at Jezebel. Mm -hmm. So I sort of lost focus. I was like, whatever, like Tanahasi Coates is like linking to my articles. Like who <laughs> needs fucking TV? Um and then Gawker filed for bankruptcy when we when they lost the Hulk Hogan I trial. I remember, yes. And I panicked and I was like, oh my God, there's no media jobs in LA. Like I this was before they were bought by Univision. So in the immediate I it seemed like I was gonna lose my job. Um and so that script I'd been working on, I finished it in like two weeks. Yeah. Out of just like sea biscuit panic. <laughs> and um, I had a friend uh, help me with like the structure and things like that. And then I had the script and then things sort of calmed down at Gawker. So I wasn't as immediately, you know, like pressed about finding something else. Um, but then CAA had this comedy writers boot camp and it was geared towards women and people of color. And it was like panels and networking. And Issa Rae was one of the speakers. And so she followed me on Twitter and had like tweeted at me before. So I was like, she probably knows who I am. And so I went up to her and she immediately was like, oh my gosh, hello. I didn't know you were interested in TV. Yeah. Um, and I was like, yeah. I am. Um, and she <laughs> yeah, was like, you have to like put like people yeah. put you in a box and yeah. assume that that's what you're doing. And you have to like, I think show I always say you have to be already doing the thing or yeah. acting like you're doing the thing to show people that you want to do the thing. Yeah. So many times in my life, people have been like, oh, I had no idea you were interested in that. And I was like, oh, now I just have to keep posting that I'm interested right. in that. I'm interested in literally anything that pays money. Right. Oh, yeah. So you should post that. Yeah, you've you made can, that clear. Yeah, if, you can hire, if you can hire me, I'm interested. And you've made that clear in your social media. Yes, yes. But it's actually, I mean, and the thing is for me, I had a job, so I couldn't really be like, hey, guys, if anyone, right. wants, <laughs> yeah. anyone wants to hire me for this other thing, which is why she didn't know. And so... Um, I gave her that one script that I had just nice. finished. Um, and she, we ended up, like, pitching it to HBO and all of this stuff. But, like, out of it, that's how I got my agents. Yeah. And then ultimately, I, like, went out for staffing. So your journey was basically, like, you wrote one script and then one of the biggest people in Hollywood <laughs> attached themselves to that <laughs> script. And then, just for listeners, that's not normally what happens. I, I, got, I got an agent off of one script, having yeah, written one script. Yeah, because you live a blessed life. Yeah. <laughs> It's also that I had been at Jezebel for th- like right. it's both yes, like it's what work, happened yeah. was very quick for sure. Almost exactly the same. The reason that anyone cared that I had a script was because I had been working as a journalist for yeah. 10 years. And so people were more like that Issa even knew who I was. Yes. Mm-hmm. Was like Similarly, because I had totally. been doing this. And so that was definitely, you know, that was incredibly helpful. <laughs> 
Yeah, it wasn't. So the idea of like, oh, wow, it happened so fast. But like, I feel the same way where it, it did. But also like I w- had been doing journalism stuff yeah. behind the, you know, quote unquote behind the scenes for like ever. Right. And it's like often I interact with people who read me at Jezebel. Right. right. Yes, so exactly. it wasn't like a fully like, oh, my gosh, this person out of nowhere. It was like, oh, this person, we'd been reading her work. We didn't know that she also was interested in writing comedies. That's what I mean. I think there's this misconception of like, wow, overnight. But it like yeah. isn't. It really isn't. Yeah. There was like a bunch of stuff going on before that. Yeah. And I mean, I towards the end of my time, um, I mean, I would say like before the job, before I was at Jezebel, I worked at a PR firm and I'd been blogging for free for like three years. Exactly. And um, by the end of that, I was just like ready for a change. And then even by the end of my time at Jezebel, I was just like itching to do something different. So mm-hmm. like it was, you know, like I had gotten to the point with all of these things where I was like, I feel like I've done what I've needed to do with these. And then how was it to switch into entertainment, like writing for TV yeah. and like working on Gronish and, you know, how did, how was that to be like, okay, now I'm doing a different kind of writing? Yeah. I mean, one of the great things for me with switching into TV was I had been writing professionally for three years. So I didn't have as much of this, like, am I be- good at writing? Mm-hmm, so when right. I wrote my first script, I was like, you know, I need to learn the formatting. I need to learn the structure of a television show, you know, like act outs and things like that. But I was like, I'm not bad at writing. So I was like, I don't think this script is going to be bad because That's I've had. That's incredible. Yeah. I've, had like I've never millions heard of, anyone say that before. You know, I was like, I've had, I've, you know, and it's one of the things too about the internet for as much as I like hate comments sections and all mm-hmm. that, like you do have this immediate feedback. So I was like, I know I've written funny things. I know I've written things that a million people have clicked on. Like, mm-hmm. I can sort of do this. So for me, it was about like figuring out how to adapt what I was already able to do to entertainment. Um, and it's, I think the weirdest thing was going from like writing about TV shows to writing them. Yeah, because now you're like, oh, I, I was criticizing yeah. these shows. Yeah. Now I worry about this that. This is harder than I thought, yeah. perhaps. Yeah, I worry about that a lot sometimes. Yeah, and like, you know, your intention versus the way someone interprets it. And mm-hmm. I think that's been... You know, when you're writing an essay, like pretty much exactly what I have in my brain is put down Mm -hmm. and then someone reads it. When it's TV, you know, you have the idea and then it's put into a script. So it's filtered down and then it's someone saying it and then it's filtered down and then it's edited it and then it's someone watching it. So it's like this long game of telephone. And so the best you can hope is that it's as close to your original intent as possible. Yeah. But versus like a book or something where it's that really is just like the words that you had in your mind Mm -hmm. are down and that's how someone's reading them. And it's just their interpretation that you sort of have to grapple with with. With TV and entertainment, it's just there are so many more channels. So I think that was the hardest part of the loss of control. Yeah, the loss of control. And like, this isn't exactly what I had in my brain, but it's probably never going to be exactly what you had. So have you have you had like professional insecurity? Um, yes, but it was so I think the most helpful thing for me was moving to Los Angeles because uh, I had been living in I I I had been living in New York. I got the job at Jezebel but then like immediately moved to LA, but it was actually meeting TV writers and like frankly meeting a lot of these like straight white men mm-hmm. who were just like not super impressive. Um which <laughs> I'm was shocked to hear yeah, that. Like, I can't believe it. But I was like, "Oh, if these people have figured it out, surely I can find a way." Mm-hmm. Um because I'm 
better than these people. Yeah. Um, I feel like imposter syndrome often works in your favor when you realize everybody has it. Yeah. yeah. And when you're actually, I mean, I think that's the biggest. I was just in Madison speaking at the University of Wisconsin, and I was talking to this girl who wants to get into to writing. And, you know, and it's hard because she's not close. And, and, you know, she's in Wisconsin. And I think the benefit of, I mean, of being in LA and, you know, going to like a USC or UCLA, it's like when it's up close and you actually understand like the scope of what's going on, it makes you, it's a lot easier to be confident in your own abilities versus if you're far away, if you've never met someone who mm-hmm. writes television, if you've never met someone who makes they movies. They seem like gods. They seem like gods. You have, <laughs> no, you have no idea what goes into it. And then when you meet these people and it's like, you know, it's not to say that everyone isn't impressive, but you're like, oh, okay, you are, you're smart and you work hard, but I'm also smart and I work hard mm-hmm. and I have good ideas ideas mm-hmm. and like it's a it's a matter of access most of the time and so i think that that you know i was trying to tell her that that like it's really helpful to be here not just because this is where everything is made but when you actually see it up close and you're like oh okay this is we can do this um i also just quickly want to discuss fancy pasta bitch oh man yeah if we have a, a hot second <laughs> can you pick can you pitch that to yeah, our listeners what is it um, it's really just a pasta blog. I make homemade pasta and then I write rambling, dumb blog posts about it. And I take, um, I'm going to say halfway decent pictures <laughs> of the pasta. Cause I, when I started it, I was like, do I want to commit to like getting a camera and like mm-hmm. figuring out Photoshop? And I was sure. like, oh, fuck it. Whatever. I was like, this is. Also, because when I make it, I want to eat it. <laughs> right. Like, you that's can't the let whole, it get cold. That's like the whole point of this is enjoying the pasta. And yeah. so even like the minute that I take between putting it on a plate and taking photos is like a minute too long <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. But yeah, I like I I started the the I started making pasta not long after the 2018 election um, because that sucked. And oh, the 2016 election. 2016, sorry. The yeah. 2016 election. And um, I think I just needed like – something an outlet outlet. and I one of what I love about making homemade pasta is like it's not that hard which is the other thing really my entire life is things that look more difficult than they are like (laughs) truly brilliant though um yeah it's like looks like it's a lot of effort but so once you've done it a few times it's pretty easy so you're using your hands but you're also not really using like your brain that much so you feel like engaged and like you're doing something but you can like listen to a podcast or watch tv or talk to someone and then at the end you get to eat pasta incredible so the and then you write about the process and then I write of, about the process yeah. yeah I write about like the idea you know like oh I was craving this that or the other mm-hmm. and so like I find the recipe um about you know sometimes it doesn't go as well as other times I write about I actually wrote, <laughs> when I the I think it was the first one I wrote in 2019 so I turned 30 in November of 2018 mm-hmm. and I was having like a deep existential crisis just sure. like thinking about dying all the time <laughs> and so <laughs> Like, it's funny, but I'm like... It's no, it's not. relatable. And, it's from 30, you were thinking about dying? Oh, because I think it was that... Here's what I think. I think turning 30, it was the first time that I fully realized that time is limited. Interesting, yes. Oh, because yeah. it just... When you're 27, even, it's just like, oh, this is going to go on forever. <laughs> and then I was like, I don't... I'm not old. I definitely wasn't like, I'm 30. I'm old now. But no, I was 30. like, I was like, oh, yeah, like, I hit this milestone. Like, time does Mm -hmm, move forward. mm -hmm. Like, this is really happening. Um, 
So I was having this existential crisis and I made pasta and it was literally about me. It was this day where I had asked a bunch of people to come over and like no one could come to eat the pasta with me. Oh, that's devastating. So I was just like alone and (laughs) then I bought like a bottle of champagne and wine because I think someone said champagne went with the the pasta. Got it. So I was like kind of (laughs) drunk and like a little sad and thinking about dying. And so that was my first post coming into 2019 was like – Damn. Um, but like, by, here's the pasta, here's, but also some on me that I'm going to. Yes. I feel like all good things start with existential dread. Yeah. yeah. It's the basis yeah. of a lot of creativity. Yeah. But then by the end of it, I was like, you know what? It's okay. This pasta tastes great. And I finished something. I finished something. This is all we have in life. You know what I think the key is? Because I was talking to my dad about this. He was like, in this crisis, did it make you like what was the result in your action? And it actually made me want to work harder. Oh, because I was like, oh, okay, I'm 30. Like I've this amount of time has passed. Like I actually hopefully have a lot of life left. Yeah. So let me like get on board with like the shit that I want mm-hmm. and like actually make it happen now that I like know better what it is that I want mm-hmm. and like am more capable. Because like I mean, come on, I couldn't. I'm only recently become, like, a capable human being. Well, I just, like, no longer care about so many things I used to care about. Yeah. Like, just the amount of, like, fear and, like, and shame and insecurity has just been slowly washing away with the years, and it's incredible. I think that's the best outcome to that sort of existential dread is, like, it either energizing you in some way or, like, letting go of bullshit because you could go the other way and just be like, oh, nothing matters. Yes, and and that's how I— But I feel a little bit like that's very freeing for me. It's been like, okay, I've accomplished these things. And I was in like early 20s. Where was the fire? Like I was in such a rush. Right. And I was like, and if something didn't go my way at 23, I would be like, well, I should quit. And like now I'm like, who cares? Now I'm like, I've done enough for a life. Yeah. You know what I mean? I can just settle into whatever. I have a book. Exactly. (laughs) Um, Do you know what? It's time for America's favorite game show called Hypotheticals. Okay. So basically, um, I'm going to give you a series of hypothetical situations, you and Gabby, and then you're going to tell me what you would do in the situations that I present to you. Oh, man. I don't know them at all. Okay. These are a big surprise. Okay, nice. Um, They're also, I'd say, unsettling. Okay. So our first game is called Would You Stay With This Cheater? Oh, God. All right. (laughs) Here is the scenario. You find out your significant other slept with all of your friends for the two months before you became exclusive. But uh, well, once you at had me next time, I'm in the middle of <laughs> okay. Pitching. Sorry, but once you had the exclusivity talk, they've been completely faithful. Would you stay with this cheater? How many of your friends? Every friend you have <laughs> of all genders. Yep, just like anyone that you would invite to your wedding, they fucked. <laughs> Amazing. I think it's better if it's all of your friends. Oh, interesting. Okay, see, this is why we brought Kara on. Because (laughs) if it was like, if it was one or two, you'd be like, oh my God, am I prettier than her or whatever? Mm -hmm. But if it's like everyone, clearly this. I mean, not that my friends are. It's more about them. Yeah. They have some sort of sex addiction. Right, (laughs) right. But they've been they've been faithful since. since, But they did keep it a huge secret from you. When do you find out? How for how long in? Um, at your wedding, when all of your friends get together and go, <laughs> I'm, we're so excited for you. They're great in bed. And then no. you go, how do you know? And then they go, oh, we all had sex with so them. So they all know about each other. Yeah. And they didn't tell you? Oh, you know, I don't like being the one who doesn't, that doesn't know. know. That's not great. Yeah. Yeah. I feel that. So what we're saying is you can have sex with everyone, but just tell people. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, hello. My whole, my whole brand. <laughs> okay, so wait. So you, how long have we been together? You've been together for seven years. Okay, and you find out seven years in. Yeah, you find out seven years in at, on your wedding day that they fucked everyone at the wedding. <laughs> okay, but why Why would they keep that? Why have they been keeping that from oh, you? Oh, it just didn't come up. It didn't come up? <laughs> yeah. Just I mean, never that came many, up. maybe that many w- people, it's hard to remember. Yeah, right? and it was one night stands with all of them? Um, All of them except, you know, one of them. Oh, see, that's the that problem. Is, there it is. So the were they dating? Attachment. Were any of these, like, relationships? No, no, no. Purely sexual. Oh, man. But they're not a cheater. That's right. So I was waiting for someone yeah. to recognize that. Yeah. This was a trick question. They're not a cheater. I think it's it's the it's the all friends thing that yeah. absolves me mm-hmm. absolves them a bit. Okay, I mean, so if you're gonna if you're gonna hook up with your person's friend, make sure you hook up with all their friends. Every all of single them. one. Yeah. yeah. Okay, here is our next one. Here we go. <laughs> oh my god, Allison. <laughs> this is uh, our producer John's favorite one. Here we go. Your significant other of ten years confesses to having sex with inanimate objects. <laughs> And thinks they might be in love with your favorite pair of boots. But they think it's possible Ah. to love more than one entity at a time and want to stay together with you and your favorite pair of boots. Would you stay with this cheater? Here's the question. Are they coming in the boots? Of course. But they clean it up. Do they own the... Are the boots now theirs? Like, do I still get to wear them? You guys live together and you've been wearing them the whole time not knowing that, that your significant other was in love with the boots. So they clean it after they come in it, and then I wear them. Yeah. And they've come in each boot. Uh-huh, but they do prefer the left one. Okay, thank you. Do for- I still get to wear, like, let's say I agreed to this. Do I still get to wear my boots? Yeah. Then but you're he's kind not of jealous. In, then you're kind of in a, what, like a triad? triad. Yeah. yeah. Got it. And what other inanimate objects yeah. among uh, in the house have they had sex with? It's been more casual, but um, they did have a fling <laughs> with uh, the closet door. <laughs> how? You know how. The door, <laughs> yeah, not the, the closet. Door. Not the closet, just the door. Because it's like an old wood. It's like very, you know, I'm weirdly classy. less jealous of the door than the boots. Yeah. Really? Reason. I don't know why. So you don't think that that's like a weird thing at all and you'd just be like kind of down for it? Uh, no. <laughs> um, I'm out. By the way, I'm out. Yeah, you're out. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And now we have a brand new game we've never before played on the show. Great. Called, Are You a Terrible Parent? Okay. <laughs> Here we go. Great. None of us have children, so this should go well. Well, maybe you'll learn a little something. Okay. Your child is acting out in a supermarket, and you tell them that if they don't start behaving, you'll put them in the freezer. <laughs> <laughs> they don't stop, so for one minute, under supervision, you put them in with some ice cream they're not allowed to eat. But from then on, they behave at all times. Are you a bad parent? Are Wait, you a is terrible this, am parent? I going to, would I do it or am I a bad parent? No, you've already done it. And so then, I did do this. Are you a this. terrible parent? And no one else in the store stops and, and no, intervenes. No, you get away with it. You don't go to free. jail or you anything. You don't get them to go to jail and they always behave, but you did put your kid in a freezer. For one minute? For one minute. One minute is so much longer than we think it is. I know. But you know what? I mean, how cold. It's cold. <laughs> Love it that gets your cold outside. Is not terrible. It gets <laughs> outside. It gets as cold exactly. as a freezer might get. Are they wearing a jacket? No, they're in shorts and a t-shirt. Ah, is there? There's no permanent damage or anything. No, no, no. I mean, maybe emotionally. Are they gonna tell anyone that I did this? Um, no, because that was part of it. You okay. Said, if you tell anyone, I'll kill you. <laughs> 
I think but that they, sounds like a resourceful parent. Yeah. Okay. So but, maybe you shouldn't have kids. <laughs> but are they are they gonna tell they'll probably tell their therapist in like in like twenty years? So your opinion is it only matters if other people know? Because <laughs> that reveals a lot about your personality. I here's the thing. I don't know the stress of being a parent. Right. I can only imagine the level of which you're like, I will do anything for you to shut the fuck up. And have you seen kids in grocery store? Have you ever right. like seen a kid acting yeah. up in a grocery store it's too? Terrible. I'm like, listen, if you hit him, I would not say anything. I'm <laughs> yeah. like, really like, do what you need to do because also kids are dumb and it's not their fault. Yeah, but it's yeah, like their brains they're just stupid. Are out. They don't know. They don't know. I mean, my parents used to make me stand in the corner. Yeah. Which was mostly just embarrassing because, like, if other people were there, yeah. it's just, like, I'm the dumbass facing the corner. <laughs> and they knew that, like, the shame – like, they knew me well enough to know that, like, we don't even have to touch her. Just the shame of this. Absolutely. Yeah. Will make her behave. Shame and I feel, is a tool. I feel like the – free, you know, corner, freezer – what, I really didn't see this going this way, but apparently the answer is no. You're not a terrible parent. <laughs> I do think it will mess the kid up, though. But, like, what parenting doesn't? Exactly. Yeah. You know? Well, we learned a lot today. <laughs> Kara, thank you so much for joining us. Where can people find you? Oh, man. I am on Twitter, unfortunately, <laughs> on Instagram, both at Kara R. Brown. And then I'm on Keep It every... Wednesday. <laughs> yeah. Perfect. Listen to Keep It. I'm a big fan. I listen all the time. And stay tuned because after the break, we have topics. With an X. This week, we'll be discussing anger. Oh. Friend or foe. <laughs> these, I feel like a lot of these are just sort of like self-help talks you would give maybe at like a convention center. Yep. I'm trying <laughs> to get booked. Okay. <laughs> Great. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Welcome back to Just Between Us. I love that fun little Ooh. ending. I feel like I'm in a spaceship. I was about to say a little alien ending. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so this week, though, we're going to talk about anger. Anger is an interesting thing because I think, like, sometimes it's a strength mm -hmm. and sometimes it's a, a true weakness. And I yeah. think that we both have very different relationships to anger. Yeah. I've gone from a very angry person when yes. you met me. Very angry. To slightly less angry. Mm -hmm. A lot of my anger would be at myself, which I think is typical for women, to, to internalize and to be mad at yourself versus like— But I don't think that's how it appeared. For me. No, no, no. Yes. No, it, I think that's where the, the core was. But if you like just talk to you, it didn't seem like you were mad at yourself. Oh, that seemed like yes. you were mad at everybody else. Correct. Uh, and I had a lot of it was interesting. Like there was something that happened when I first moved to L.A. where I was in my car and I was mad about something and I and I I punched the car seat mm -hmm. and I was like. For a moment, it was like, whoa, who 
who was that? Like, that was so an outward manifestation that, like, doesn't often happen. I have had a relationship with self-harm since I was very young Mm -hmm. as a coping mechanism. And so for me, a, a big way that I dealt with feelings that were too overwhelming was to to like hit myself yes so i've like hit myself many many times in the head and stuff yeah and um and that like having not having done that in a long time it's like crazy to look back and like think about me just like in my desk chair just like slapping the shit out of myself (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) but you know like that was like sometimes like when the emotion is so strong in your body, mm-hmm. you, like, need an outlet. And so yeah. sometimes that's screaming, sometimes that's crying, and sometimes that, like, can turn physical. Yes. I, I in high school, self-harmed, for sh- uh, uh, for sure. Different than your version of it. Um, not not as much self-punching. But, uh, but it, yeah, I think... I did like, multiple. I did... You, I, had, you yeah. had a lot of them. I had a lot of fun times. You had... Oh, boy. You had a lot of them. But... Um, <laughs> But the but that's what's so interesting is that I think for women often the the anger is, is towards yourself or yeah. it comes out as being like towards yourself and then I have a weird almost almost traditionally masculine outward yes anger which mm-hmm. is which was like punching the car or um you know like getting mad at at people or I even like my. Uh, I was talking to someone about sibling relationships and how, like, you know, boys will beat the shit out of each other and sisters are just yell or passive aggressive. And me and my little sister would physically fight. But I think that there's something to the fact that, like, if you have a physical fight, then it's done. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that, like, emotion is so much harder to resolve. Mm -hmm. And I also think that, like... (laughs) This is my big thing is, like, I think it's so much easier to make up with a significant other because you can just, like, be physical with each other. Yes. And you can just, like, heal through that. Whereas with a friend, Look, like... Look, I've tried, Allison. <laughs> I've tried to heal us through through a one-night stand and you <laughs> keep turning me down. I know. I prefer to be mad. Ugh. Well, so, uh, like, I, and so now I feel like I'm a lot... I'm, I've gotten better with anger, I mean, it's, like, the way I grew up, too. Like, I think a lot of it was, like, outward anger and, like, out, outward sort of yelling and, uh, you know, like, it wasn't, like, a thing. I, it was a thing that in my house I would keep to myself because, like, I spent a lot of time in my room and I grew up in an, an alcoholic and addict home. So it was, like, me trying to sort of temper everything. Mm-hmm. So then at home I was so meek. Like I always say to you, um, with if you saw me with my family, you would not recognize that person. Like that person is silent. Right. And but then like in real life when I would be able to like, you know, be with friends or interact with people outside of my family, then all of a sudden all the anger would come out and it would be like that would be the only way that would be the only time, the only way for me to express anything. See, that's so interesting because for me growing up, I would be able to keep it together in public. And then the moment I'd get home, I'd fall <laughs> apart. Cheyenne's that way. But My I, sister's that way. You know, so obviously, like, anger in interpersonal relationships isn't great. Like, anger towards yourself is not great. But I will argue that right now, I think politically, 
we need to be angry. Oh, of course. Like, I think that right now staying, like, even keel and tr- acting as though what's going on in our uh, in our country is the status quo or, yeah. like, not something that, like, enrages you is a weakness. <laughs> well, the only thing that I would say that was positive about my my outward anger when I was younger is that it, it informed my feminism. Mm-hmm. And it let me... Uh, learn and grow and like realize that the things I was angry about were real and were real things to be mad about. Totally. And so it got channeled into like social justice and feminism. And like, I think my anger towards the way the system treats black people, the way the system treats disabled people, like, you know, I think all of that uh, and, and like informed my queerness. And like, I think it, it, it there's something to um, being radical that at the base is anger. And because because it's our body reacting to something that is so wrong. And, like, my entire life, like, I'm not a huge fighter. I'm not, like, super confrontational. But What's that I, like? I know. <laughs> uh, pretty boring. <laughs> but I, it, since I was, like, in middle school, I would not be able to talk about politics rationally. Yeah. Well, but that, that is, okay. like, the number one thing that would always trigger me, that would always set me off, and that's when I would, like, lose like lose control of, of my own emotion. Well, I think that's the, – the idea that you have to talk about these things in an even keel is, is a way for people to silence you. Absolutely. Like, if you if, – if they go, oh, you're getting really worked up. Right. And then they think that they're superior for not getting worked up. It's actually the opposite. Like if I if I can talk to someone about what's going on in America right now and they're not enraged, I assume that they don't have a moral compass. Or that like, oh, wow, how lucky for you that none of this affects you. Exactly. Like the idea that getting angry or getting emotional when talking about something is weakness is is actually the opposite. Uh, it's like that's that's like the ability to care and get worked up and like actually get emotional. Like I would have people, you know, say they would write to me and say like, I'm arguing about gay rights with a straight person and I'm getting emotional and they're saying like, oh, see, you're just making an emotional argument and like I and I'm more rational than you because I'm like, and it's like, oh, you're more rational because this doesn't affect you at all. <laughs> and I mean, it is hard, though, because I think so many people do write you off if you're emotional. Wrong. Especially, especially women. So there is, there has to be, like, some strategy to it. So, like, AOC, obviously, in private, gets enraged. Must be screaming. Must be screaming at the walls, like, freaking out, right. you know? But, like, she has mastered how to have a poker face in public. Well, that's what sucks for for women and other marginalized people is that you have you to have, have to that learn poker, how to face, have poker face, right. which is so enraging because you see men get worked up oh, all the we've goddamn seen it time. On, I mean, ca- the Kavanaugh hearings, yeah, unbelievable. Like uh, how tr- Trump is consistently losing his emotional like core, like yeah. And if a woman was was tweeting and behaving the way that Trump behaved, like they, she'd be shipped to a mental hospital. Hillary Clinton wasn't allowed to cough. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like it, like. It is it is so this is, it is why a huge double standard. Huge double standard. And and like, you know, the idea of um getting angry at work. If mm-hmm. a guy it's like, oh wow, he's so passionate. But if like a woman is angry at work, it's like it's like, oh, I don't know if she can handle this account or whatever. Right. Uh like I I I hate I hate this sort of devil's advocate thing of like, well, because I'm being uh re- like 
removed emotionally from the argument, my argument is better. Right. Like, it's like the moment that you add emotion to it, the facts somehow fly out the door for someone. Also— Like, you can be saying everything can be completely true. Your argument is so much more sound. Right. You're de- defending every point that they're making. And then—but because maybe your voice is raised, it's like, well, you're just nuts. And also, if you're a person who, uh, in the marginalized group who is arguing this thing and it is personal to you, wouldn't you think that then that's who you should listen to is the person who is affected by it, is affected by it but they, and like yeah. has and like and then it's like, oh, you're just I love when people are like, like I see this a lot with trans people where they're like, well, you're just biased because you're trans. And it's like, oh bias towards my own life and also the things that I know to be true and also <laughs> my experience. You know what I mean? Right. Like, like the that they, that we are not listening, that we decide that we should listen to the other people who don't have any skin in the game versus the people who do is, like, so counterintuitive. I think that we, like, right now need to figure out a way to, like, to separate sometimes just so that we can, like – Get that rest and that release. So you're, so you're, um, so that you have the energy to yes, fight the fight. Exactly. Because I think if you're fighting the fight all the time, it's just going to completely drain you. Yes, for sure. But so, and and it's tough, especially for marginalized people, because you are fighting the fight all the time. Right. Your life is the fight. Exactly. So like, how do you how do you stop? You know, for a second, how do you t- just zone out for like a second? You know. That's why I think comedy is so important. Yeah. Like I like I know that like memes maybe people don't see them as the art form that I do, <laughs> but I think that the ability to laugh and to make somebody laugh and to take them out of the moment mm-hmm. is so powerful and important. Yeah, and I think that art is so important and art. I'm including movies, TV. Yeah. you know, like yeah. when I'm at like a restaurant and I hear just like two people having like an intricate conversation about a television show in this entirely made up world. I'm like. Thank God that we have this stuff to occupy our minds with. Yeah. Because if it was just the reality of the world. Yeah. And like we didn't have that fantasy escape, I think we would all go insane. It's also uh, underlines the importance of safe spaces. So it like underlies the importance of like queer spaces or Mm -hmm. spaces for people of color or like just so that you can turn your brain off for a fucking second. Totally. But I do feel like I have a, a very like masculine relationship to anger where it is like. It can get to, like, punching a pillow or, Mm -hmm. like, you know, um, and I just – I have to – but then also holding it inside of myself and I have to figure out what the better outlet is for it. But I have gotten better. Yeah. Let's check in with you in five years. I know. What will be – what will that be like? You'll be completely zen. You know what? Let's bring John in here because I want to get his opinion on us as angry people and also have him rate the show. So, John – yeah. You know both of us at this point. Fairly well, yeah. Would would you describe either of us as angry people? Hmm. No. That's I don't, such a... Be no. honest, dude. <laughs> I, I don't know. I feel like y'all are really good at compartmentalizing your anger. I don't perceive y'all as angry. I've never been no. angry at you. I think, you're, I think you're angry about things that matter to you, mm-hmm. as in the state of our political uh, nightmare. <laughs> but I think there are plenty of people who would agree with you on that so it's a, it's about how you direct it you know right did you finish your color code test i did i did do you want to go into that or do you want to do the rating and then no i have no to, what's, I have what's to your color, your color, color, color code, code. okay so y'all said white before, yeah Abby right? said white. you said okay again white. you said white what did you say Allison? i didn't say yet but I, I i'm went, gonna say blue 
You're correct, Allison. Wow. Yeah, I'm blue. Woo, 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 woo. Yeah. Love to win. There's yes. emotional depth to you. <laughs> Fascinating. <laughs> Clearly, you don't know me as well as you thought you did. But yeah, I, I feel wow. lots of feels. Yeah. Well, how, what were your feelings about this episode? My feelings were very strong, uh, in a good way. I would say it's a 12 out of 10. Hey! Yay! Yeah. Our highest yet. Yeah. What was your favorite part? I, oh gosh, so much. The international question um, about ma- whether, you know, the whole making mental illness cool thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, that really hit me. I mean, I, this was going to come out at some point, but I have epilepsy. And, oh, yeah. Yeah, and it's, I've had it for about four years now. It's not something I see very often. It's not something that kind of matches up with how often you see something about anxiety or OCD right. on social media. But I do wonder what will happen the day I see it. You right. Know? And so talking through that and how that will make me feel is really interesting. Like I've seen bits of it in pop culture, like all yeah. the things I've watched before mm-hmm. and go, okay, not everybody has a full on grand mal seizure, but mm-hmm. I have had those. And so now I feel some type of way about it. Totally. Right. Mm-hmm. And that must be so interesting to have that come on as an adult. Oh, yeah. yeah. That, like, completely change your self-identity as an adult. Uh, yeah, I got it at 27, and all of a sudden I went from kind of feeling somewhat invincible to feeling like, oh, shit, where, where's my life going? You know? Right. Wow. Yeah. I did not That's know it crazy. could come on as an adult. So let me add that to my list of fears. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Gabby, what was your favorite part? I also enjoyed talking about anger because I don't think that a lot that women talk about anger enough. I agree. So uh, I thank you for that topic. No problem. And uh, I was happy to sort of – I was happy that we come at it from different places of mm-hmm. like of like more internalized versus externalized anger. And I don't think there's enough um, conversations where, where women are uh, coming at it from two different places in terms of, of expressions of anger. And also just acknowledgement of anger as yeah. something to not necessarily be shameful about. Yes. Definitely. That right. there's some power in it. Yeah. Well, we learned a lot. Just Between Us is hosted by me, Allison Raskin. And me, Gabby Dunn. Our engineer is Brendan Burns. He also composed all of our incredible original music. Our producer is Kristen Torres. Our senior producer is John Asante. Our executive producers are Chris Bannon and Jenny Rattle at Mast. Just Between Us is a production of Stitcher. Let's scream into the mics. Ready? Ah! Fix it in post. Level it in post. <laughs> Stitcher.